0: The e-commerce field podcast is sponsored by Shopify, the platform I personally use to host my own store. Why did I move to them from Magento, who I had been on for years? Well, Shopify has an enormous ecosystem of developers and apps. Their template framework and API are really well architected, and they're a hosted service, so I can focus on growing my business versus spending hours worrying about server issues. And best of all, they make me more money. Our business experienced an enormous 41% conversion increase after we migrated. Check them out at Shopify.com. Welcome to the e commerce fuel podcast, your headquarters for building a six figure plus e commerce business. I'm your host, e commerce entrepreneur and Jeff Bezos wannabe, Andrew Derry. Hey guys, it's Andrew here, and welcome to the e commerce fuel podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. And today on the podcast, we're going to be picking up the conversation where we left off last week with Aaron Rubin, who owns a number of e-commerce stores, is the founder of ShipHero.com, and is a top contributor to the e-commerce fuel private Forum, and really known as kind of the shipping and warehouse guru to members of the community. Last week, we talked about how do you know when it's time to to start warehousing, to jump into you know, stocking your own products, and you know what should you be looking for in a facility, in an actual warehouse space? How does the lease work? You know how do you actually receive products? We talked about why forklifts are probably a terrible idea, even though they could be wildly entertaining. <laughs> so if you didn't catch that episode, make sure to head back and listen to it. Today we're going to be talking about how to find and uh, hire and manage staff. We're going to talk about boxes and packaging, how the whole process works or should work from the order coming into actually getting it out the door if you're running your warehouse properly, Uh, counting inventory, metrics to track, and a few thoughts on branding. So it's a a great discussion. Aaron has just so much knowledge about this. I really enjoyed diving deep with him. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive back into the conversation where we left off last week. I was reading a thread in the forums. I think actually Bill D'Alessandro, of course, another regular on the podcast here. He's getting ready to start a warehouse, and there's a fantastic thread he started. Uh, I think you weighed in there too, Aaron. We'll link up to it if you're a forum member in the show notes here. Talked about you know what things should you be thinking about if you're starting to run a warehouse. And one thing that really surprised me: a number of people. Oh man, I maybe mean, three, four, five people or more use temp workers for warehouse workers. And it seemed like it worked out really well for them. They hired people on from a temp agency. They worked for a while. And then if they worked out, they brought them on to full-time payroll. So is that something that you've done, Aaron, you've had experience with? And if so, has it been successful?
1: Yeah, I saw the thread. I mean, I think Bill is going to be using ShipHero when he goes live in his warehouse. Nice. Yeah, you can ask him about that (laughs) (laughs) once he's live. Now, we don't do that. I was surprised how many people said that. I mean, if you put an ad on Craigslist and you just say, hey, we're looking to hire some warehouse staff, and you just offer slightly above kind of market rates, you'll get 20 resumes in like a couple hours. Yeah, so I'm not sure, at least where I am. So I'm not sure why people are, are resorting to temp agencies because that kind of adds some cost. For us, yeah, we just use Craigslist and we're really data driven. So uh, we record, we know exactly what everyone did in terms of um, output and errors. So, yeah, we just look at the numbers and, you know, if their numbers are good, we keep them on board. If their numbers are not good, we, we bounce them.
0: Because you've got, everyone has their own, let's say they're using an iPhone, they log in with a PIN for ShipHero, right? And so everything that they do in terms of the orders that they pull, pack, you can track efficiency, error rates, down to the employee,
1: right? Yep, yep. You can even see a little, little chart of what they did throughout the day, you know, at this time they packed this, at this time they did that, whatever, yeah. So with that data, it's like, you know, managing employees and setting expectations and, and monitoring performance is just like, you just look at your screen kind of thing.
0: That's crazy. Total non sequitur here, but it just popped in my brain. I got to ask, how are you running a SaaS app? You've got you know, three or four or five different e-commerce stores under the same kind of umbrella, but different platforms. The warehouse, you're running a fairly, what I think is impressive and sophisticated SaaS app for you know, being Ship
1: Hero. How do you do all this stuff? well ship hero eats all my time i mean the martial arts business we've got a few really good people that have been with us for a while and essentially they they run the show i I show up uh you know make myself look important and then i go go back to (laughs) ship there so you've got a really well you've got great team members in place and it's really well automated yeah i mean it's more yeah i mean the automation helps but it's really about the people there they're they're fantastic they they do their job better than i could do it so
0: do you show up at the at the warehouse every day or just occasionally
1: yeah, I usually stop by for a few hours once a week. That's it.
0: Wow, okay. There's just a picture of your face with the stats <laughs> of everyone's pick rate errors in the corner.
1: We have the drop cam, so I just yell at them every once in a while. <laughs> like, <"Couture."
0: laughs> oh. Well, getting back to staff, sorry, I couldn't, couldn't resist asking that. But getting back to staff, I mean, you mentioned hiring for market rates. What's market rate for an, a warehouse worker? Uh, and obviously, if you're hiring in New York City, in Manhattan, it's going to be different from... You know Reno, Nevada, you know or anywhere else. I mean, it doesn't get much more expensive than Manhattan. But is there a ballpark? You know, what, what's a rough average hourly rate for for a pick and packer?
1: Uh, we're like thirty miles outside of New York City, so we're not like you know super expensive rates. But we start at twelve fifty an hour. Got I don't it. know how that compares to the rest of the country. Okay, great.
0: And any final tips for when you're looking to hire warehouse workers? You know, you think if you're hiring someone for customer service or marketing, those are pretty, maybe not for me at least, more intuitive on what kind of skills you need. But what kind of skills are you looking for when you're hiring warehouse guys?
1: Yeah, so warehouse is the easiest to hire because it's um, unlike customer service or marketing or purchasing where it's kind of hard to judge who's the best and who's the worst, you know, because there's a lot of things that are hard to quantify, you know, like how well do they speak to the customer? Like it's hard to put a number to that, especially on a regular basis versus in the warehouse. It's really easy to put numbers to it. So, yeah, I mean, I I haven't found one profile of who's a good employee like they'll they look act totally different the, the best people but yeah we just watch the numbers it's really easy to see who's you know i mean it's not uncommon to see someone whose put output is 50 percent higher than someone else's if you hire them both on the same day and then it's pretty pretty obvious which one to keep
0: what about packaging you know you've got you run your own warehouse all of a sudden you got to do with tape you got to do with boxes all this kind of stuff Where do you get those? Uh, Do you get them for free from UPS and FedEx? Do you have to order them from a place like Uline? And if so, where do you order them?
1: Uh, we used to have a local supplier that used to have trucks coming out to us uh, Qatar area like once or twice a week, so they would deliver for us. I'm not sure who we're using right now. And what about in terms of accounting for
0: those on the income statement? This is kind of a geeky financial question, but like, <laughs> do you wrap those all into the cost of goods sold? Do you? How, how do you incorporate those? Do you try to? I'm guessing you probably don't match like each box to the cost for each order, but but where do you put those on your income statement?
1: Yeah, I might kind of move some of that stuff into cost of goods sold, but. He does it at the end of the year. I, I don't sweat it on a kind of a regular basis.
0: Yeah, so he'll just order as needed throughout the year. And at the end of the year, he'll say, I had $15,000 in packaging fees. We'll split that up you know, 12 ways and uh, allocate on a monthly basis.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's also some other stuff that goes in there related to just general warehousing costs that, that they move in. Like I said, there's some rules and formulas. I, I don't know the details.
0: So we, we covered some of this, but we'd love to go through the, the process of... All the way from a new order coming in to to getting shipped out on your side. So, so let's say a new court order comes in. You know, I'm starting to get back. I decide that I want to get into Brazilian jiu jitsu. Order a bunch of stuff from you, and order comes across from Angie Dari into the warehouse. So, what what's the first thing that happens? It comes in, of course. Like I'm sure you get an email on Shopify, but is there a packing slip that gets? printed off this one of the warehouse workers does he have in his little order fulfillment cube a little beep like andrew's order pops up there what's the first how do you like my beep noise effect
1: yeah, <laughs> high tech i gotta i gotta i got license that from you <laughs> that'll
0: be pricey how does your team know that i'm there
1: all right so the first thing that happens they'll either get put on hold or not so if it's yours it would definitely go straight to the fraud hold um <laughs> You know, once we clear it up and make sure that there's no hold, then it. Um, once all the holds are released, then it's available to ship.
0: Sorry to interrupt, but why would there be apart from apart from you not wanting like a, a
1: physical challenger if we ever meet at a conference? You know,
0: <laughs> why would there be a hold put on any order? It's like fraud, maybe or
1: yeah, yeah. The the most common hold is fraud hold. So based on you know scoring when the order comes in, if it it exceeds a certain threshold, it just gets uh, flags for fraud. Got okay. okay. Okay.
0: So no fraud. It's Andrew. It's you're your, you're kind. You let you know he's <laughs> doesn't have any muscles anyway, so he's not a threat. So so it comes up on the the iPad for Ship Hero or, or the iPhone. What happens then?
1: Yeah. So Ruchob either as a single order or as in a batch, um, depending on kind of how it's set up and how many items are in the order or whatever. But essentially, they see. I'll just go through the simplest. Assuming it's not a batch, it's just one. They just see here's an order. Here are the items. They walk around, grab the items off the shelf, scan them to confirm put them in a poly bag or a fancy box for you. Know you like your packaging material. And then the scale reads wirelessly to the iPad. So you just hit print invoice, spits out an invoice, you hit print label, put the invoice in the poly bag, seal it, put the label on the top, push it down the conveyor line, go get the next one. Wow, so the scale, do you have like a Bluetooth enabled scale that syncs with ShipHero? So the way we did it is there's no good Bluetooth thermal printers and there's not a lot of good Bluetooth scales for kind of the industrial, you know, I got to go up to 70 pounds and be durable sort of thing. So what we do is we actually have a computer station that's connected to all your devices. So your label printer, your thermal printer, your scale, and that speaks via socket. So it goes out over the web through Shapiro down to the iPad and it's yeah, seamless. You won't even notice that there's any any delay, but that's the way we do it on a technical
0: basis. Wow. And what kind of scales for someone who's maybe thinking through, okay, I'm going to use Hero, but man, I have no idea what this collection of hardware is. Can you throw out some names or recommendations or even just brands on, hey, who should you be looking at for that central unit? Who should you be looking for for that scale? All this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, so it's all Standard stuff. So the scale, any USB scale, so it could be like a Dymo scale that's like 40 bucks on Amazon, or we use in our warehouse, Mettler Toledo PS 60s. They're like four or 500 bucks each, but they're actually really accurate versus those little ones are not accurate. And if they're not accurate, it doesn't seem like a big deal, except you're paying postage on um, an inaccurate weight. So over time, that's going to cost you a lot of money uh, if you're doing a lot of volume. And then also the durability. Those things will last for like a decade, even in like a getting knocked over, banged around in the warehouse. And then usually UPS or FedEx will give you a thermal printer. So, and all those thermal printers work for if you ever switch or whatever. So those are all standard. Those work out of the box. And then for invoices, it's just any laser printer that'll print paper. And, all you, stuff.
0: and then you said there was kind of a hub that everything plugged into, the printer, the scale, everything like that. Is that just a PC that you have set up or is it a special device? Yeah, any PC or Mac. Okay, great. So it sounds like you know it's on the scale. Shiphero will say, okay, this is you know four pounds. It's going to this is zip code from our zip code. Here's the rate. Will Shiphero automatically say, hey, this is going to be way cheaper to you know it'll be cheaper to send USPS or vice versa? It'll be cheaper to to send UPS. Does it do that automatically? And is there logic based stuff where you can just say spit out the method that's, that's most cost effective to ship? Or how do you compare rates in that process?
1: Yeah, so you could set it to live rate quote all the available options, including any flat rate or regional rate boxes that the item will fit in that you have enabled for your store. And it quotes them all. You can also set a delivery time so you can say, hey, it's got to be there in two days, but get it there the cheapest way in two days. Yeah, it does all the quoting and just spits out a label. We try to take all that kind of decisions out of the frontline people and just put it into business logic so the person doesn't have to decide hey is this going to be faster or cheaper using UPS or First class mail, priority mail, whatever, it all happens within Shapiro automatically without them seeing it.
0: That's amazing. I'm going I'm to start a warehouse just so I can use the software. <laughs> sounds, all right, we'll sign you up. <laughs> sounds awesome. What about oversized stuff? You know, I know, especially this year with UPS and FedEx, some of their oversized stuff is way more expensive. And for a guy who ships four or five foot antennas, that has not been fun. Do you have to enter in dimensions or do you only have to enter in dimensions if it's you're shipping something big and long and bulky?
1: Yeah, well, at this point, I think UPS and FedEx consider uh, something big if it's uh, larger than two postcards put together. (laughs) (laughs) So the way we handle it is um, you could manually enter the dimensions of the box, but what we usually do is we have a dropdown for the boxes, so you can choose it from the dropdown. So here's my six enabled boxes, so it's just Uh. this one. But there's more I have, to do, I have to put that in there once you can actually just scan a barcode for the box so what usually the people do is they have a list of all their boxes like on a shelving unit each location has a little barcode and you just scan the barcode that's there and that tells us which box you're going to use and then you don't have to type in anything or do any choosing you just scan that barcode got yeah that makes
0: sense so once that comes out you got the box on there you print the label you slap it on at that point, will, will the system automatically shoot out the tracking number it printed onto the label and push it out to Shopify or whatever cart you have it connected?
1: Yep, exactly. And I'll tell you what went in there. And if you're doing multiple boxes, you can even you know, kind of say, oh, these two items are in this box. These two items are in that box. So customers can see each tracking number, what's, what's going to be in there. And you know if, let's say, box gets lost, you know what, what's in that box.
0: Great. And then the, the inventory of course gets updated on the live cart. And I'm guessing your your revenue, your cost of goods sold or anything gets pushed out if you want it to to QuickBooks or Zero or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. The invoices get updated as completed and everything gets pushed to get paid and all that good stuff. Yeah.
0: Okay, great. And then for pickup, you've got even if as a guy who's drop shipping, I'm always pushing my suppliers to try to have later and later pickup because it means that, you know, we can get more orders out. Yeah, you have to pick up at 10 a.m., anything that comes in 11, 12, it's got to wait till the next day versus a 5 p.m. pickup. You can really load them up and, and get stuff out the same day. I'm guessing that's probably something everyone wants, though, or at least a lot of people. Is that something you have to kind of cajole and nudge UPS or USPS for to get those later day pickups? Is it something you worry about? Is it something you have to
1: pay extra for? No, you definitely don't pay extra for it. UPS and FedEx are pretty responsive, especially if you're going to be switching to them. You say, hey, I need a pickup after 5.30. They'll they'll do that. I mean, we've never really had a major problem with them. We've never had any problem with UPS in terms of getting pickups as late as we wanted. I mean, the only issues we've ever had was during peak season we actually have them leave a trailer by us and then we fill up the trailer they take it away and get a new one. Oh my goodness <laughs> uh, otherwise they sent like a whole bunch of trucks and there wasn't enough room whatever so then there have been times where they're like alright we gotta take the trailer we gotta go or everyone else is gonna get delayed and we're like no we still have 8 more orders or 80 more orders whatever but no they're really good uh, the post office is way more inconsistent and they finish their day earlier I guess so they're much more of a fight uh, but what we found is basically when you get the right person there, they'll be super helpful and they'll make sure everything happens. And until then, you're just going to be talking to a whole bunch of people that either can't or won't do much to really help you.
0: I know it's a little granular and maybe a little bit potentially even too involved, but I think it's, it's cool to walk through the exact steps each way. Because for me, guy like me at least, I have no idea. I have a rough idea, but hearing the specifics is, is really cool how the, that goes from coming into to getting on the final truck. What about counting inventory? You know, If you've got all this inventory in a warehouse at some point you probably want to reconcile and do an inventory count where you make sure that, you know, you've got what you think you have to make sure you're not, you don't have problems with your systems or you don't have employees, you know, stealing from you. So how do you do that? Like, is a pretty basic is a pretty basic process of just printing off on QuickBooks or zero what your inventory is with the SKUs and the quantities and, and spending a long grueling week or weekend just manually counting inventory.
1: Yeah, so that that's a great way to end up with even more mistakes than when you started. <laughs> um, yeah, so what happens is that's a really typical process is everyone's like, all right, we're going to not ship for the next three days. We're just going to print out what we have. We're going to count everything. We're going to update everything. And then we're going to start shipping again. And first of all, no one finishes the expected amount of days. So then it runs over to shipping days. And then you get this incredible stress of like, All right, well, we want to get the sales, which means we need to be shipping, but the count's only three quarters done, so if we stop now, it's pretty much useless, and then everyone gets all aggravated, and yeah, it's not a fun time, but... The bigger issue is that the counts end up, for every item you correct, you end up kind of screwing up another one, because generally what happens is a lot of times people pull in staff from like customer service or whatever, people that don't know the warehouse, they don't know the products, and if you expect to give them just a skew, a name, and a number and them to find it counted accurately, they're not. They're going to make as many mistakes, you know, they're going to make a ton of mistakes. And the other thing is, people got to finish their list before they can leave and go home, and no one wants to be there on the weekend counting inventory. And you'll see a lot of people taking shortcuts. Be like, yeah, it looks like 12. Check it off, you know? So no, that's that's definitely not the way to, to do it. You're better off just <laughs> leaving your inaccurate counts than, than going through that. So the way to do it, the way we do it in ShipHero and the way we've always done it is something called cycle counts. So we have counting as a part of the weekly task. So every week we count a certain number of items. And that's our goal for the week. And they see the people that have to count see at the beginning of the week, hey, we have 89 items to count this week. And as soon as they're done with those 89 items, they're done counting. They don't have any more. And next week there'll be another 89 items. And we count live. So you know our system, You know we use ShipHero, so everything's real time. So you can count while people are shipping because you know exactly if the item's supposed to be, you know was picked yet or not and what shelf it's on. Um and that's you know I know that's my company, I know that's what we do, but that's the only way to do it, to actually have accurate counts, at least that I know of. Ah, very cool. So instead of eating the whole elephant one weekend, you
0: break it up over the course of what? How often do you cycle through obviously you're doing just a little bit every week, but how often do you do you cycle through the entire count and come back to when you're counting that skew again? Is it quarterly, six months, annually?
1: So we said that the average item is counted every twenty six weeks, so twice a year. But that doesn't mean every item is counted that often. Some items are counted way more often. Some are way less often. And the reason being, an example is, let's say, you know, let's say I was running Costco, right? And you shop at Costco, right? Occasionally, we don't have a card, but we'll, uh, we'll sneak in with relatives <laughs> every now and then. You'll that. sneak in <laughs> All right. So,
0: yeah. It's it's 50 bucks a year, man. I mean, come on. I've got
1: two kids and uh, the wife and two kids. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, I think it pays. Um, <laughs> So, when you go to Costco, you know they've got these huge you know play places right they've got you know and they probably sell you know they've got three of them in stock and they sell you know a couple a year right and then they also have you know you know toilet paper where they're selling you know a thousand rolls a day you know and that's just to me. <laughs> So to count those both at the same frequency is kind of ridiculous because the odds of one of those big things disappearing when you only sell a few a year, the odds of that counting wrong are pretty low, right? Right. Versus your items that are being touched a thousand times a day. Well, that's a thousand opportunities to make a mistake, right? So you want to prioritize those and count those way more often than the items that are barely ever touched. So we usually prioritize it like that. The only times we don't prioritize it like that are people that have really expensive items. So we have a customer that has jewelry. They count that based on the value. So the more expensive the item, the more frequently they count it. And that's because they're not worried about mistake, they're worried about theft.
0: And is that all built into here where it'll, it'll look at pricing, it'll look at the velocity of, of things moving through your warehouse. and And when somebody goes to pull an order, it'll say, oh, hey, by the way, you need to, you know, you're already here, you're pulling toilet paper, go ahead and count all the toilet paper on this order. Or is it something where, is it built in like that or
1: is it something that you're a little more manual to do? So we don't do it on the pick side. We used to, during picks, we remove that and we just made it a separate task. The reason why, and and there's arguments on both sides of this one, the reason why we opted to do it outside of picks is we do put a lot of focus on uh, picker efficiency. You know, it's kind of how we... um, Hmm monitor people. And a lot of our customers pay their workers based on number of picks. So if you're getting paid for one thing and then, oh, by the way, just do this other thing, which doesn't really count towards your scoring and towards your pay, you're either going to be annoyed at it or not do a real good job at it or whatever. Right? It just didn't seem like the right thing to do. So we decided to set it up as a separate function within the app.
0: Makes sense. So what about metrics? I mean, we've talked about a few in terms of uh, efficiency of pickers, how many picks per hour, things like that. If you had to pick, and maybe I'll, I'll put you on the spot here, if you had to select, let's say, four or five top, you know, at most metrics to track for your warehouse, what would those be?
1: All right, well, your most important things is to not be making mistakes. So if your error rate is over, let's say, 0.2% of orders have a mistake, you need to fix that first. That seems really small. Yeah, you want it as close to zero as possible, right? Um, We typically see over 1% on customers that are switching to us, which is, I mean, insane. Imagine if like, you know, 1% of the time your website, you know, your shopping cart just wouldn't take someone's order, you know, like you would switch shopping carts the next day, right? But for whatever reason, you know, if 1% of the orders have a mistake, people... You know don't know how to solve it, so they just kind of deal with it, but yeah, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to deal with that, and you should be, like I said, in the you know 0.1 percent range. It, you know, obviously, the more zeros you try to add on there, it becomes exponentially harder. But yeah, 0.1 percent, that should be a good target. The next thing you want to look at, I, I don't worry as much about the number of items that went out during the day. What I worry about is, did everything that needed to be shipped that day go out? If the answer is yes, we hit all our targets, then then we did a good job, and that's it. You know, mission accomplished. And if there are orders that came in and we promised our customers that we didn't, you know, that we ship it the same day and we didn't, that's a problem that has to get solved. It might be you need more staff, maybe you need different staff, maybe you need different systems, but that's a red flag, right? You can't have promise a customer I'll ship it on Monday and then actually ship it on Tuesday. At least not if you want to keep that customer. Yeah. And the next thing I look at is kind of an area that tends to get a little neglected is receiving and returns. So if receiving and returns also just, if those are backed up, if those are behind, sure, you don't see that kind of hitting your bottom line today, but if receiving is backed up, it means you have less stock available to sell, but you've already paid for that stock. So that's a real waste of capital and real waste of opportunity. And warehouses tend to kind of, if they're busy, let that slack. So, you always got to make sure that that's kind of running to schedule, which is all stuff, again, we have all in Shapiro. You log into your dashboard. It says, hey, here's the orders that are late. Here's the uh, POs that are late. So you always know kind of what the status of those are. And then the last thing is returns. Just if returns are behind, you're going to have customers that might have, come back to you. Now say, hey, these guys, they're not the company I want to deal with because they took you know a week to process my return. So just making sure that the warehouse is up to date on kind of receiving and checking those in.
0: In terms of returns, how do you if something comes back to you, it's in mint condition, hasn't been opened, it's you know, in the in the plastic wrap, not a problem to resell it. But I'm guessing that's a, oftentimes the minority of returns. You get stuff that is returned in various degrees of use and abuse. <laughs> so is it just a judgment call and saying, hey, okay, this we can resell, we'll put this back in inventory? For those ones that you can't sell as new, what do you do with those? Do you do you have a special section where you kind of have used stuff that you sell at a discount? You have clearance stuff. You call it refurb. Like, what's the process for that?
1: Yeah. So one thing I'm really proud of actually is if you go to our site rollmore.com, we have a uh, wash and wear guarantee. So you can uh, buy one of our jujitsu geese. You can wash it. You could, you know, hopefully you don't, but happens all the time you could bleed on it you could sweat all over it and if you decide hey you know this is not this is not the one for me you don't have to tell us why just say hey it's not the geek for me you could send it back with a prepaid label and you'll get a full refund so obviously we get lots of returns none of which are resellable so we just we have someone who takes a picture of the item puts it on ebay and we just we sell stuff on ebay all the time every day yeah it's fine
0: yeah interesting okay cool this is a little bit off the the warehousing specific path, Aaron. But uh, there was a discussion you started. One of my favorite in the forum this last month, in terms of of branding, and we've talked obviously a lot about branding at least here on the, the podcast the last year or so. And and you mentioned that, you know, just given your position, being able to to see see into different clients' businesses, not talking specifically, of course, but broadly seeing different businesses, how they're doing, how many packages are moving, overall health this is the difference you're seeing between uh, businesses are reselling existing things and having your own brand so would you mind just kind of briefly sharing just kind of really just restating what you said in the thread and and kind of some of those insights that you've seen given your position i think it's fascinating
1: Yeah. I mean, I can tell you just from myself, when we didn't have a brand and now we do have a brand. And then, uh, you know, all the people, you know, I speak to, uh, business owners, you know, a few a day just with Shapiro and then, you know, some are more open than others. It's to their profitability and, um, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, the ones that have their own brands tend to be the ones that are, are way more relaxed and comfortable financially. Like they're, you know, they seem on pretty solid footing versus a lot of the resellers seem to be, you know, who don't have their own brands, just much closer to the limit. They just don't have quite the margin. So everything, you know, everything's tighter. You know, when you when you make your own brand, it's it's not about see I think the, the mistake people think about is like, oh, well I'll give you an example. So in apparel, let's say you produce an item overseas and it costs twenty five dollars to produce. You typically sell that to a retailer for 50 bucks and then that retailer sells it on to a customer at 100 bucks. That's kind of the typical math. When you bring in a product, the idea is not, okay, let's bring it in for 25 and then let's just sell it direct to the customer for 50. That's not going to work for anyone. It's not going to make your other vendors happy and you're not going to make any more money. The idea is still bring it in for 25, sell it for 100. So you're not winning based on a price. You're winning based on the fact that You don't have to cut corners on that product so if your suppliers you know typically they're like oh man we got to hit our $100 price point which means we got to be at $25 cost and let's you know they're never going to cut costs on anything visual because that's what sells the product but they'll cut costs on some stuff related to durability or uh some stuff that you won't see right away. So they're like, oh man, we gotta hit R25 versus you. You're like, well I have more margin. I can go to twenty-seven to, you know, make sure I get these things the right way, right? And you do a couple of little things like that. So you do lose a little of your margin on that. You could be more generous with your return policy, stuff like that. But more importantly, you get more margin. And when you have more margin, you'll find that when there's good opportunities for things to do to build your brand, to grow your business, you'll have the cash and you won't be so nervous to spend, you know, oh man, I only have so few points, I gotta be really careful with it. You'll be more willing to take some risks and, and do some more creative things. And it's for whatever reason, the people that have that margin tend to be just more successful growing their business and doing innovative things. You mentioned right at the beginning of that thread, you
0: said, hey, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, dot, 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 before you dove it <laughs> yeah. Why did you think that?
1: Well, you know, there's this, like I'm like the anti-believer in like the uh, four-hour work week sort of philosophy. So I don't put in a ton of hours in terms of you know sitting at my computer doing stuff, but I, I put in a ton of hours and a ton of effort thinking about my business and, and being focused on my business. So I'm not saying you should be slaving away 60 hours a week in front of your computer, but I think, I mean, if I could sum up kind of in like five words how to be successful in business, it's do things others won't. So it's really easy to, or significantly easier to kind of think incrementally, be like, all right, we're going to start a store. You know, there's great platforms out there, right? I can just set up my Shopify store for 40 bucks and, you know, five hours, speak to some dropship companies, get a few products loaded and start like that. And then I could keep working incrementally, right? I could say, all right, let's, let's work on my AdWords. Let's work on my SEO. You might end up with making a living, but you, know you don't end up, at least in my experience, you know, being super wealthy in, in, a, in a reasonably short amount of time. The people that do that are the people that are willing to take kind of those big jumps and do what other people won't, which is say, all right, I'm going to, yes, I have an e-commerce business, but I'm going to now start a brand. It's going to take six months till I get my first product in. I won't know if it's going to work. I'm going to have to learn all these new skills. I'm going to have to learn how to source. I'm going to have to work with designers. I'm going to have to be sweating, waiting for that shipment to show up, hoping that it actually matches what I ordered, right? All those hard, difficult things to do. But like I said, you've got to be do- willing to do the things that other people won't, and starting a brand is one of those things. And yeah, either you embrace that, like, you know, you embrace the grind and you say, hey, man, if it's easy, it's not worth doing. Or or you have the other philosophy, which is I just want to make you know, enough money with the least amount of effort. So I'm on the first one, not the least effort sort of side. I love it. Love it. It was a great discussion.
0: We'll link up to it again for four members in the show notes on this episode. Aaron, this has been really fun. If you're listening, and you run a warehouse. You're thinking about running a warehouse. ShipHero.com. Obviously, you know wouldn't have had Aaron on if if it wasn't something I thought was a really great product. But it's I've been really impressed with what he's done and how much just thought and automation has gone into to that product so check it out shiphero.com we'll also link up to uh, he's got a number of, of uh, e-commerce stores in the martial arts space we'll link up to those in the show notes Aaron it's been fun I've been wanting to connect to you like this for a long time and you didn't disappoint man thanks so much for coming on and, and, and just dropping all this knowledge about warehouses and, and inventory it's, it's really appreciated
1: thanks Andrew was lots of fun
0: that's going to do it for this week. But if you're interested in launching your own e-commerce store, download my free 55-page ebook on niche selection and getting started. And if you're a bit more experienced, look into the e-commerce fuel private form. It's a vetted community for store owners with at least 4,000 in monthly sales or industry professionals with at least a year or more experience in the e-commerce space. You can learn more about both the ebook and the form at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again next Friday.